0: I run a program called Healed Being over at HealedBeing.com. If you've been hurtful to someone you love for a few months or even a few decades and you want to change that about yourself and give yourself the best chance at reconciling and even strengthening the relationship, get the lessons and ask your questions in the private discussion group over at HealedBeing.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you learn the skills you need to deal with life's challenges in the most emotionally intelligent way. I still work on that all the time. (laughs) This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. Glad you are here. We have a few things to cover today. I think I can fit it all in. I'm just going to start right away with this message that I received at one point in the past. Hey, I like listening to your show, the practical and useful life skills that, I should put kills, <laughs> life kills that you have taught me, uh, lead me to a happier life. Thank you for sharing that. I've had a dilemma, which I've not been able to resolve, and I thought to ask for your help. The dilemma is about the relationship with my mom. Since my dad passed away, she has become dependent on others to help run her life. I am her main helper. I have another sibling who doesn't want to be involved. I love to help my mom. However, I feel I don't get the appreciation and respect that I deserve. She doesn't have any expectations from my other sibling, and she's even thankful when my other sibling lets her visit their house. I love my mom. At the same time, I carry an uncomfortable burden of anger and resentment. She feels my resentment and observes my anger, then complains that I am not respectful to her. I have a very good relationship with my other sibling. They told me that their counselor told them that our mom is narcissistic. I don't believe our mom is narcissistic and I think my other sibling uses this to uh, suppress their guilt of not helping. My sibling also told me that they observe I let my mom play emotional games like guilt with me, which I completely agree. I love my mom. How can I help her without suffering? Thanks for your attention to my question. All right. Thank you for sharing this. And I was trying to be vague about your sibling and other details to keep your confidentiality. So that's why I kind of read through this kind of mumbling. (laughs) But yes, thank you for your question. It is a great question. And I do want to uh, share with you that if your mom is narcissistic, it's quite possible that you are being treated completely different than your sibling. Sometimes a narcissistic parent has a golden child. And that golden child is treated wonderfully. And the other siblings get neglected and mistreated and abused in different ways. And when you're the golden child, you don't see it the same way. So the narcissist can do that. And um, if you are that, that's quite possible that's why you don't see it and your brother experiences a completely different side of your mom so it would be interesting if you shared with me what your mom says about your sibling what does she say about that person and is it always kind and friendly and if that's the case that's still not an indication (laughs) because sometimes a narcissist Will make it appear that they're friendly to everyone. I don't know what's wrong with your sibling. They're always upset with me and I didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, they could make stuff up. So, what might be helpful is to, I don't know, listen to a conversation between your sibling and your mom where your mom doesn't necessarily know you're listening. And then pretend to be your sibling and ask yourself, oh, how would I feel if she talked to me that way? That can be helpful. That can give you some empathy and give you that person's perspective. So that could be happening. You could be the golden child or who knows. There's a, there's a lot of reasons that narcissists do what they do. If she's a narcissist, maybe she's just emotionally abusive. Maybe she just doesn't like one of your siblings. I don't know. That could be it. I don't know. So I don't have enough information to give you uh, regarding that. But Regarding your question, I do have a perspective. Um, You said that you love helping your mom. So where I want to go with you with this, this is going to sound uncaring. It's going to sound like I see you as a certain type of person, and it's not true. (laughs) I see you as a very loving, kind, compassionate person, but I'm going to describe you in a way that doesn't sound flattering. And it's not because it's true. It's just uh, I'm trying to get your brain to think in a different way or think of it in a way that might change how you approach this subject. So my question to you is, how do you define love? I know how I define love. And if you've been listening a while, you know how I define love. And I'll share that in a second for those who don't know. But how do you define love? Because you said, I love helping my mom. I love my mom. You said that at the end. I love my mom. But how can I help her without suffering? Because you said that uh, you don't feel you get the appreciation and respect that you deserve. First of all, you're probably right. There's probably no or not enough reciprocation because you do so much for her. How do you define a loving gesture? How do you find Uh, or define loving servitude. How do you define it? Does loving servitude, and this is where you might misinterpret what I'm trying to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you define loving servitude as caring for someone with compassion as long as they uh, care back, then this is probably why you feel resentful. If you define love as supporting someone's path to happiness, which is the way I define it, but they need to support mine too, then you have love with strings attached. Now, don't jump to conclusions. I'm not saying, uh, no, you shouldn't expect anything, and this is this is you. you. You're not being unconditionally loving. It's very hard to be unconditionally loving unless you're a parent that has a child, and the child can do no wrong. That's the closest to unconditional love I've seen. Um, You know, Mother Teresa and all that, too. (laughs) There are people out there that unconditionally love. But in a child-to-parent relationship, it's very difficult. And especially like romantic relationships, almost impossible to be unconditionally loving. No matter what you do, I'll love you. No matter how bad your behavior is, I'll love you. So I don't really believe in unconditional love because it causes you to love people that, that could hurt you. So you have to be very careful. I mean, I believe in unconditional love. I believe it's possible, but I don't believe it's always safe or healthy to practice it with certain people. So if you are trying to love someone and they can't give you the love and respect that you deserve back, then there is a point where you have to say, okay, I either choose to love with no strings attached and i can be okay with that you know this is a, this is a choice i can choose to love this person with no strings attached and be okay with it or i can choose to love and expect something back and when i don't get it i'll get upset again i know it sounds like i'm painting a bad picture of you and i don't mean to do that i'm setting you up for my next comment my next comment is she may be incapable of doing that. Now, she may do it with other kids. Maybe you're not the golden child. Maybe somebody else is the golden child. And just so everyone knows, the golden child of a narcissistic parent is a symbol of perfection. It's like the narcissist feels like the child represents them. It is not only an extension of them, it, it actually represents them. So they try to mold and shape that child to be as perfect as possible. That way they can brag (laughs) and they feel good about themselves because I made this. This is my creation. You know, something like that. So it's possible you're not the golden child in somebody else's or maybe there are no golden children in this mix. It doesn't really matter. What matters is what you're doing today. What do you expect back? Do you expect anything back? And should you expect anything back? If you do expect something back, then yes, you are going to feel resentment. And my guess is that you might be somewhat of a rescuer or a people pleaser. I don't mean to put you down for that, but I'm just guessing that might be in there because people pleasers often feel resentment that they're not getting um, the return of the same kind of treatment they give, the reciprocation. Because I used to be a people pleaser. I know how it goes. You give and you give and you love to give. It's part of your DNA. And then you don't get the same back and you start to feel burnt out. You start to feel used. You start to wonder, why am I even wasting my time on these people? That's because if you're a people pleaser, you do expect something in return. And that's why you give. And that's why I asked about your definition of love. Because if your definition of love does have strings attached to it, then you'll never be happy. I mean, that's a really bold statement, and I don't mean it like in general all the time with everyone everywhere. I just mean you'll never be happy in any relationship that you give and give and give and expect the same in return. Because the people pleaser doesn't necessarily know how to balance their giving. They don't know how to um, limit or regulate how much they give. I mean, most of the time, a people pleaser, uh, they give in hopes to receive. And when they receive, they uh, reinforce that their behavior is how to receive. And so, uh, again, you can give and give and give to someone and they may not be capable of doing it. She may give back or reciprocate in some ways, but it will probably never, ever match the amount of giving that you do. Now, with that said, let's just say that she is healthy. Let's just say she's a mentally healthy person. She's not narcissistic, and she is just a, quote, normal parent, a normal mom. You said that your dad died, and I'm assuming they were married, and they were living together, so now she has become dependent on other people. You, mainly, it sounds like. And um, what's the reason for that? Why is she dependent on you? I mean, the answer is she had a partner in life. She had someone to share her life with and help her do things and probably took care of a lot of things. You know, we each have our own role. And so when he disappeared, now she has to be dependent on someone else. And how can someone that needs to be dependent on someone to get their needs met, possibly give as much back as they give them. That would be like um, I'm helping my elderly grandmother uh, into her car every day, or I drive her somewhere every day. I help her in the car, we go grocery shopping, I do all the heavy lifting, and then we drive back and I unload all the groceries, put it in her fridge. And I make sure she gets set up in her wheelchair and in in front of the TV or whatever. And I'm really doing a lot. And then at the end of the day, I'm thinking, hey, where's the reward for all my efforts? And again, I'm not saying you're doing that. I I have a feeling what's happening is that all you're looking for is a simple bit of gratitude, a simple thank you, a simple I love you. You're probably looking for very minimal return. And, you know, the scenario I just described, I just want to make sure that it's not because uh, she is healthy, you know, mentally healthy, but she just doesn't have the energy. Like some people just are grateful that somebody serves them, helps them, helps them work through things, help them lift things, helps them cook and clean, whatever it is. But she may not have the energy to give back because she needs all that help. So that's if she's mentally healthy, mentally well I mean, let me put it this way, not a narcissist. (laughs) If she's not abusive, if she's not a narcissist and she still can't give you what you're looking for, it's quite possible. She just doesn't have the energy to do it. It can take a lot of energy. And your dad died. And if that was her husband at the time, then that may have drained her too. I mean, I've seen people just go downhill. My stepfather's dad died. And it was only a few months later that his mom died and she was miserable that whole time. She just didn't have the energy. She spent her entire life with this, this person. They went everywhere together. They did everything together. They had a life. They were a single unit. They were a single person together. You know, I look at love or a loving relationship as you have me, you have you, and you have us. And us is kind of like a a third entity. It is we. It is a thing that we talk about that is a single unit. And when you've been we for a long time, you lose your identity when one of you leaves or dies. Your identity gets fractured when one of you leaves or dies. You don't know who you are and you have to reconnect with yourself. And sometimes that can drain you. That can pull a lot out of you. And you have trouble being there for other people because you're barely there for yourself and you're trying to find yourself again. You feel fractured. You feel incomplete. And you know that's why you hear that phrase, you complete me, which I don't believe in. <laughs> you shouldn't get somebody to complete you, but to fulfill you, great. To fill your heart, great. To help you become we so that you are still you, they are still them, and we are together. That is a wonderful thing when it works, but when it is not there anymore, who are you? Because you were a part of we. And that third entity, that third unit of you as a couple is gone. And that's very difficult for some people. And some people can rebuild, refill that part of their heart that has that void. And some people. Keep that loss and move forward with that loss. And that can be very draining and it can change who you are. And that's why it's important to keep you. They keep themselves, you keep yourself, and you come together and you bring the best version of yourselves into a single entity like that and share life together when it's a romantic relationship. So the reason I'm saying all that is because if she wasn't unhealthy, if she wasn't abusive, if she wasn't a narcissist, then that might be the the reason is that she just doesn't have enough energy or whatever to give. But if she has been abusive or a narcissist or whatever your sibling has experienced, then um, what I've said applies is that she may treat you completely differently than she treats the other person. So let's get to your question. Your question is, I love my mom. How can I help her without suffering? This comes right down to accepting that she will never be who you want her to be. That's it. She will never, ever be who you want her to be. So can you do the same thing you're doing now and be okay with it, knowing that she'll never be able to return love and connection the way you need it, the way you deserve it? You're worthy of it, but can she do it? The The answer is no. How do you know? How, how can I possibly say that? I'm saying that to help you come to an acceptance with it. I don't know if it's true. She may be very well capable of it. Maybe she needs to talk to a professional. I don't know. But it can be very helpful to you to look at someone like this and say, you know what? She's incapable of giving me what I want. So can I continue giving to her knowing I'll never receive what I need and I want and I deserve back? Can I do it? You may answer, no, I can't do it. I need something back. I need some sort of you know, reward system here. That you know, sounds a little selfish when, you, when we say it like that, but I don't think that's what you mean. I think you just want acknowledgement. I think you just want to know that You are loved. And if she could acknowledge that, the relationship would feel whole and authentic and good. It is very difficult to be in a one-sided relationship or a lopsided one. And if you're not receiving as much as you're giving, uh, she is probably not capable of it. So it's very, very helpful to you just to tell yourself she's not capable of doing that. Hey, I'm going to give all this love to my mom. I'm going to help her out. I'm going to you know, shop for her. I'm going to clean her clothes. Uh, and she's never going to say thank you once. She's not going to do it. So I'm just going to do it, do my part, know that I have helped her, and I'm going to move on. That might be a healthier thing for you to do, just to do your part, know that she will not acknowledge it, and then just move on. Just move on to the next thing you're going to do for the day. I'm not sure if that's the answer you're looking for. I know it's tough. You, you want to love and you want to receive love. This is what I'm hearing. And, uh, but you don't want to do it without suffering. So the challenge is then, I have a mom that's not being motherly to me. She's not nurturing for me or toward me. I want to be nurtured. I want to feel like a daughter in your case. I want to feel like um, she cares about me as her child. And she may not be able to do that. Now, maybe she did it when she was married. And it comes right back to what I was saying earlier. If that was the case, then it's possible that after your dad died, uh, things changed. Her personality changed. Or she just doesn't feel full anymore. She doesn't feel whole. And that could be it. Or maybe your dad, if she's a narcissist, maybe your dad was experiencing a lot of her behaviors And it was a difficult, tumultuous relationship for him and maybe her too. Maybe there was a dynamic going on there that he took the brunt of whatever behaviors were toxic and you didn't have to experience that. So you experienced a mom that was healthier because she had an outlet. She had a target almost. That could have been her supply If she is a narcissist you know narcissists need supplies and once they get their supply they're nice to everyone else you could be her supply now again this is all on the assumption that she's a narcissist if your sibling is correct if you're her supply you feed her narcissism in some way if you are doing that then you are now the target and everyone else she treats well because you are the outlet you are the supply And she gets it all from you. So she no longer treats you as she did. So I've hit this at every angle in many different ways. And again, I'm not saying that you expect the world from her and you're loving with strings attached. It's not that at all. I'm helping you consider all avenues of possibility. Because my guess is that you are a super kind, compassionate, caring person. And it would be nice if somebody acknowledged that. That's my guess, And I didn't even address the part where your mom makes you feel guilty about stuff. This is a very strong sign of an emotionally abusive person, someone who uses guilt to make you do things, to make you comply, to make you submit, that is emotionally abusive. And when they use guilt and you just do what they want you to do because they know you feel guilty, that is abusive. So you do have to consider that, that maybe your sibling might be onto something. I don't know, but there's certainly abusive behavior going on here. And, um, you know, you could certainly say something about it. Hey, you know what? You're trying to make me feel guilty. That's not very nice. And then she might say, well, no, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to make you understand. And then you can say, no, you're, you're trying to make me feel guilty. So because you are trying to make me feel guilty, I'm not going to help you with that. Whoa, (laughs) I know you probably can't do that. You don't want to do that. I'm just giving you options. I'm just saying that there are ways to handle people that make you feel guilty by saying, look, I don't want you to make me feel guilty. And if you do that, it makes me not want to come over here and help you. Why would I want to help somebody who makes me feel guilty? You're supposed to love me. You're my mom. Now I'm being a little bit um, personal here because this is what I would say. I'm not saying what you would say, you know, or should say. I'm saying that this is what I would say. Why would I want to come over and help you? You're trying to make me feel guilty. That doesn't make me feel like helping you. That makes me feel like not wanting to help you. I don't want to help somebody that makes me feel bad. Why don't you support me? Why don't you say thank you? You might have to be direct. And if you did that, maybe she would say, well, fine. I don't want your help. Don't bother coming over anymore. Guess what? That's another guilt trip. And if you are getting these guilt trips over and over again, then you're definitely in an abusive situation. And I would highly recommend you listen to my other podcast, Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com because I talk about abusive behavior and you might need some knowledge on that when you're dealing with somebody like that. I hope I've been helpful. We'll be right back. I've got something to share with you and uh, I'm going to talk about another couple of messages I received right after this. Well, I told you I'd let you know how I was doing with the Fisher-Wallace Neurostimulation device a couple weeks back. And I'll give you an update in a moment. But first, I have to explain what the heck I'm talking about. (laughs) So, those of you who are unfamiliar, our sponsor today, Fisher-Wallace Labs, created a device made specifically for the treatment of insomnia, anxiety, and depression. Ever since I was a kid, I simply don't fall asleep fast. But I've been using the Fisher-Wallace device every night, And I can happily say, after 20 minutes, I'm yawning like crazy. I'm ready to hit the pillow. I love it. And I'll be honest, it's weird at first, but when the device beeps telling me it's done, it's really amazing how ready for sleep I am. I told you before that I stand behind what I talk about on this show, and this is no different. Fisher Wallace also stands behind their device by offering a 100% satisfaction guarantee that allows you to return it within 30 days for a full refund. It's been proven safe and effective in multiple clinical trials and is already being prescribed by over 14,000 doctors and providers. I've read reviews and they're on par with what I've said here. This thing might be a life changer for you. Safe to use in combination with medication, check out this wearable device that has been cleared by the FDA for specific treatment of depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Go to FisherWallace.com forward slash overwhelmed brain And use the coupon code BRAIN to save 10% on your device today. That's FisherWallace.com forward slash OverwhelmedBrain with the promo code BRAIN. Welcome back to the show. Glad you stuck around. Didn't pause and never come back. (laughs) I want to address this next message. Somebody wrote, they said earlier this year, the love of my life bought a house without ever telling me her plans. She and her kids walked away from our relationship. This is the second attempt that she tried to buy a house without telling me. Unfortunately, my request to get couples counseling after that first time never materialized. I'm devastated. And uh, this lonely, empty feeling remains. My attempts to reach out and have a conversation with her have been ignored. The hurt is tremendous. I find myself consumed with grief. It's better than it was months ago, but I still feel the loss. We have a blended family, so my children and I miss her kids as well. She just walked away without any indication that this was her agenda. I'm at a loss. Our perfect couple status, evidently, was only in my mind. How? Why? That was that was his question. How and why? Yeah, that that is very tough. Thanks for sharing that. And I remember um, my first long-term relationship ended, and uh, you know I'm in this space that you're probably feeling like, what just happened? Where did she go? And why did she go? How did this happen? And I remember, you know, now that I'm a bit healed from that, a bit older, a bit more mature, a bit more understanding of how relationships work and how they should work and what a healthy relationship looks like, I can look back at that relationship and see all the dominoes that fell to uh, reach the point where the last domino fell and she left. Can you do that? I'm hoping you can. I'm hoping by now, even though it's painful and it's hard and You know, a piece of your heart is missing now. Like I was talking about in the last segment, a part of our identity is gone. So we have to rebuild who we are. You know, we're not we anymore. Now it's just me. How do I rebuild that? You you keep giving yourself love and compassion and kindness and tell yourself that you're worthy. I'm worthy and it's her loss. You know, whatever you have to say to make yourself feel better, to reaffirm that you are a good person and you deserve a great relationship. That's part of this. But what I'm saying is that I was able to look back and look at all the dots, connect all those dots and figure out what event led to the next led to the next to learn why she didn't want to be in the relationship anymore. And this is what I'm hoping that uh, you can do, too, because we don't just normally disappear out of someone's life unless there is a buildup of some kind. Uh, especially when it has been great now i was in uh, I was in a relationship for over a decade. It was like thirteen years or something, and maybe she's listening now. <laughs> but we were in a relationship together for thirteen years, and about eleven years into it, our quote perfect relationship uh started getting uh stale that's not even the right word. Our perfect relationship started becoming imperfect. It started becoming disconnected and no intimacy, and there was no emotional investment from her, and the emotional investment that I was giving wasn't necessarily being reciprocated, but uh, there were other things going on that led up to this, which is what I'm talking about, the dots, the dominoes. What were those? Can you see those now? And in hindsight, do you have 2020 vision? Can you look back and say, well about three years into the relationship, this started happening, or about five years into it, or ever since you know that thing happened with us, ever since that big argument, ever since I texted that person, she's been upset and hasn't gotten over it. A lot of the times, there's one of those ever since moments, ever since this happened. Now, when there's not an ever since moment, it's usually the buildup I'm talking about. And the buildup has to do with, um, well, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Sometimes there's an incompatibility that is never discussed. Like uh, this person loves country music and this person loves rap. And there's a small resentment that they won't listen to each other's music. And so, you know, that's just a minor example and hopefully not a deal breaker (laughs) relationship ender, but let's just say that existed or we'll use that example, just think of any example if you want to apply it to your own relationship. Was there an incompatibility that existed that was never really discussed or you never really got to a compromise with? Like you could easily support each other in those incompatibilities so that it didn't become something that you started secretly resenting. There could be something like that. And there could have also been hurtful behavior that uh, you may not have spotted. Like for me and my 13-year relationship, there were behaviors that I was doing that I didn't even realize were hurtful. I was doing emotionally abusive behaviors that I didn't know were emotionally abusive. They were just my coping mechanisms. They were behaviors that I learned when I was a kid, uh, either to survive certain situations, being in a toxic household, or I saw my mom do them or my stepfather or you know my siblings I learned how to behave and how to treat other people by the way other people treated other people so I mean that was one way the other way was developing survival mechanisms as a kid and learning how to survive by acting in certain ways and so I mean I've talked about that a lot and especially over at LoveAndAbuse.com. but uh, there are coping mechanisms that we develop that When they translate into adult relationships, because we take our coping mechanisms that we created in childhood, when we bring them into adult relationships, they don't translate well. In fact, they can be highly toxic and highly destructive. One of mine was um, uh, inducing guilt. I mean, again, that's the mom from the last segment, right? She induces guilt in her daughter and I induced, or at least tried to induce guilt and my partners back then because I thought, well, that's the only way I can get my way, so that's what I'm going to do. And I'm oversimplifying exactly what happened, but I would feel some sort of injustice or I would feel like um, I wanted to say something, but because I was afraid of confrontation, I would come across passive aggressively and um, I would also induce a guilt trip by being silent and withholding love and affection, all terrible, terrible things to do. I've matured, (laughs) I've healed from a lot of this stuff, but I'm sharing this with you just in case you may have been in survival mode during your adult relationship, because this is what happens. If the relationship just suddenly ends, we can usually look at the dominoes, the dots and connect those dots and figure out, okay, maybe if I had said this differently, maybe if I hadn't treated them this way, maybe if I did, you know, there's all kinds of things we can look at and say, well, that's probably what happened. And uh, if you can't see that, then it's possible you can't see your own coping mechanisms that are causing the problem. And that could have been you. There, there could have been things that you were doing that uh, she didn't like, but she doesn't want to confront you, and she doesn't want to make waves, and she doesn't want to make you feel bad, so she doesn't say anything, and just plans her departure. I mean, I I hope that didn't happen, but it could have. And that's tough. I know it's difficult. It's very difficult because there's no closure. In fact, uh, just real quick, in case you didn't hear my episode on closure, I'm going to scroll over back here. Where is it? Oh, here it is. I have an episode called When You Desperately Want an Explanation or Closure, but you can't get it. Just go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and type in the word closure. And you'll see this episode come up. And uh, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. She left. She has not been in touch with you at all. It sounds like she just wants to move forward. And that, to me, sounds like she wants to leave you behind, unfortunately. I know it doesn't feel good. But it sounds like she doesn't want whatever you guys had together anymore. And I know that's probably tough to hear, and you're probably trying to reconcile that still, but if there were some sort of abusive behaviors or hurtful behaviors that maybe even you weren't aware of, she was. That This is what happens, is that someone can be in a relationship getting hurt and feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling awful, feeling like they're responsible for all the problems because the other person makes them feel that way by doing certain behaviors, controlling and manipulating and all that. And when that happens and the other person doesn't want to confront, or when they do confront you, they turn it around back on them, then they feel like they have no voice. And when somebody feels squashed like that, where they feel like they can't say anything because it'll just be turned around back on them, and you're very good at wording things, so they don't know what to say and they feel flustered, They may just go silent and then secretly plan their exit. And that's what it sounds like happened here. She was secretly planning her exit. And I don't know if she was doing that because of your behaviors. I don't know. But you sound a little bit like who I used to be in the sense that when my relationship ended, I was grieving for months and months. I mean, all of us can grieve. All of us will go through a grieving process when somebody leaves us, and that's certainly normal, and all of us will still feel the loss after many months, and you had a lot of other things going on. You had kids together, and that is more loss, and I'm sure that hurts, but what I'm worried about, and this is why I brought it up in the first place, is that you may have been doing things that you're unaware of in yourself, and I don't mean to point the finger at you and say, this is your fault. Because there's another angle to this too, but give me a second. I want to make sure that you are aware of any of your behaviors that you may or may not be doing that maybe made her think that she couldn't communicate with you or couldn't share things with you or couldn't express things with you. Did you take responsibility when you were wrong about things? Did you apologize about things? Maybe you did. Maybe you think this is not it at all, this isn't it, and you need to go to the other side of this, and that's where we're about to go, but I just want to make sure that you cover this aspect of what might have happened, because sometimes we are doing things that we're very unconscious of, and if the other person we're doing things to isn't forthcoming or doesn't even know how to explain what's happening or what you're doing, then they may just plan a silent exit. And I know that makes us all paranoid. Like what <laughs> is my partner? Is my friend? Is, is Are these people in my life going to plan a silent exit and I'll never see them again? It happens. It does happen. But you know, this is why I'm hoping we listen to shows like this. We learn about ourselves. We try to improve ourselves and we do the best we can to show up as authentically and transparently and vulnerable as we can around safe people, of course. And we just try to show up as ourselves. And we show people who we are. And we try not to hide or manipulate or control. We try not to do any of that stuff because here's what happens. And like I said, I used to be this way. I used to be manipulative. I used to be controlling. I used to induce the guilt trip. I used to be emotionally abusive. I used to be all this stuff. Because I never learned any other way. And because I didn't learn any other way to be, any uh, healthier coping mechanisms, I didn't know there was another way. When we don't know there's another way, we don't look for it. We don't understand what we're doing sometimes. Sometimes we do. (laughs) Some of us go through life thinking that we're doing the right things, and it turns out that we're actually hurting someone. We're hurting people we care about. And we, we kind of have to step out of our own trance to step outside of any type of relationship that we're in and look at that relationship from an outside perspective and see the two people in it. So this could be any relationship. We look at those two people in it and we say, hmm, that person seems unhappy a lot. And this other person seems like um, they're apologizing a lot or they're defending themselves a lot. We don't see this when we're in it, because we're in it. The world we're in is our reality, and unless you're always thinking outside the box, and what else it could be, and our brain goes in all these different directions, we're probably not going to see this stuff. You probably weren't aware of the air that you're breathing now until I mentioned it, because it's something we take advantage of. Unless, you know, there's smoke and you're coughing or anything like that, but most of us aren't aware of the things that we take advantage of, the things that we're exposed to every single day because it's life. We're in it. We're inundated. We're entranced because it's just the day-to-day. We're going through our daily routine. We don't think about it. And if we never think about it, we don't look for a solution to it. Hey, I'm breathing. It's fine. I have oxygen and uh, I don't need a solution to that because I have it. I'm, I'm okay. So we don't look for it. Just like um, I'm treating my partner or whoever uh, nicely. So there's no reason to look outside any of what I'm doing because I believe I'm treating them nicely or I know I'm treating them nicely. So there's no reason to analyze my own behavior. We can do this. I've done it many times. We can be a certain way over and over again and never think twice that it's bad or toxic or hurtful or degrading the relationship, any of that. We just keep doing what we do because there seems to be no repercussions to it. There are no bad consequences to it. So we keep doing what we're doing. And then suddenly somebody walks out of our life and we think, what happened? Because we weren't aware of our own behaviors. This is why it's important to be aware and be conscientious of what affects other people. What do I do that hurts other people? And this is when I like to say, what am I taking advantage of? I look at my own relationship. But what am I taking advantage of right now? Well, I'm taking advantage of the fact that we see each other every day and when she goes to the store, I don't even have to say goodbye or kiss her or anything like that because she's coming back. That's actually something I'm very highly aware of that I don't take advantage of, but a lot of us do. Oh, they'll be right back. But if they don't come back, Wow, you know, that hurts. What what happened? Where are they? Did they get into an accident? I mean, that probably happened to someone listening right now, and I'm so sorry for your loss. It's very tough. It's very tough when that happens because we have all these thoughts, like I, I, I should have said this. I should have said I love you before you left. I should have gave them that kiss instead of just ignoring them and watching TV. We have a lot of regrets that can happen because of that. But this is all the kind of stuff That we take advantage of. And so I like to look at any relationship and ask myself, what am I taking advantage of here? What am I missing? What am I doing that's not contributing to their happiness, but actually contributing to their sadness or their anger? What am I doing? And these are the things that we, I believe, should think about so that we don't get stuck in our own trance and we don't go day to day thinking that. Well, today is just like yesterday and tomorrow will be just like today. So there's no reason to make any difference. There's no reason to change anything. There's no reason to look at my behavior because they're still here. They're still in my life. I mean, this is something I teach in the Healed Being program, the program where I'm helping emotionally abusive people change so they're no longer emotionally abusive and they want to show up as different people. They want to heal from that. One of the things I teach time and time again in the lessons is when the other person reaches threshold. I call threshold the day or the moment they've had enough and they can't take any more. That's the moment of threshold where the buck stops here. They will not go any further with this kind of behavior and they're either ready to leave, ready to walk away, or it's one of those or else things. Something has to change. You have to stop this behavior, or else they've reached their limit. That's the threshold. And when they reach that threshold, they're done. There's no going back. And what I teach is that you're probably in this program, Healed Being, because the person you're with finally had enough. And I like to help people in this program, The Overwhelmed Brain. It's so important to make sure it doesn't reach that by changing behaviors today so that it doesn't reach threshold because threshold means one of two things. Typically, the first thing is the other person has closed off their heart and sealed it shut. That's one outcome. The other thing, the other outcome is they still have love in their heart, but they don't want to connect with you until you're... You're completely different until you've changed. So, those two outcomes happen after threshold. That's the two main outcomes I see over and over again. They either sealed their heart for good, or they still have love in their heart, but they're not ready to show you until you've made some major changes. The whole point I'm trying to make with this point is that you shouldn't allow it to reach threshold. Don't let it get there. And the only way to not let it get there is to be aware of your own behavior, is to open your eyes to what you're doing. The day I opened my eyes to my own judgmental behavior was the day my wife wanted to get a divorce. She had reached threshold. And I didn't know about this stuff before that. She just wanted the divorce. And I thought, whoa, what's going on here? This is blowing my mind. I thought marriage was forever, and here it is exploding in my face. What's going on? I don't know how to handle this. What do I do? And um, when we were separated, this is before the divorce talk, I did look at my life. I did look at all my behaviors. I looked at all the dominoes, and I looked at all the dots, and I also looked at my past relationships. Why did those fail? And I said the one thing that changed my life and my relationships forever. I said, I must be the common denominator for all these failures. As soon as I said that, I changed. I mean, I started changing. I started healing. I started working on myself because I was always blaming someone else. Oh, our relationship failed because she left. No, that's not why it happened. It was because of my behaviors. I expected a lot from them. I tried to control them. I tried to make them feel guilty. I was very passive-aggressive. And I hid all of that under a charming exterior. And their friends loved me, and they couldn't explain to their friends exactly what I was doing that uh, was degrading and dissolving the love and connection. But it was me. And um, after I decided to take the responsibility that I was the common denominator of all these failures, that's when my life changed. And one of the main things I did to start my healing after I said that was put myself in their shoes. Finally, become empathetic. That's what I did. I said, okay, if I was my wife and I said what I said to her, as me, you know, here's Paul telling his wife, I'm upset at you because of this. And it was something that I wanted to control about her. And if I heard that from my husband, how would I feel? And wow, that hit me like a ton of bricks. That hit me so hard. So that's another way you can figure out maybe what happened in the relationship. How would you feel if this happened? How would you feel if someone wanted to control your life or tell you what to do? Or they didn't like your hair color or they didn't like the way you looked or all these things that we do that we maybe don't think are hurtful, but they chip away at love and connection. And said, we just want to be aware of these behaviors and make sure that we're not doing them to avoid what happened here with this person who wrote, she just left. She bought a house and left. She's gone. Wow. That's so hard. And so uh, I'm hoping that what I said today is perhaps some sense of maybe why and maybe not. Like I said, there could have been something else going on. You could have been fine, not hurtful at all. You could have been showing up as ideal, like you are the ideal husband, and who knows what was on her mind? Maybe she was doing something unbecoming or hurtful or something, and she had to change that. I don't know. There's definitely uh, an unknown here, a lack of closure. And when you don't have a lack of closure, you have to come to terms with it. And that's why I was telling you about that episode to listen to, when you desperately want an explanation or closure, but you can't get it listen to that, because that could be very helpful to you. Again, I hope this helps. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I wish you much strength and healing through this. I know it's hard, and you will make it through this, because I have been in many relationships that I thought were the only relationships I would ever have in my life, and they all ended. (laughs) That's so sad. I know it sounds so sad, but I needed to go through that. I needed to go through those breakups to figure out what the problem actually was and I'm not saying you are the problem sometimes it's a combination of both but it's important to look at all the dominoes look at all the dots try to connect those dots and figure out what could have been different and do you have any control over what could have been different sometimes it's just a lack of attraction sometimes people aren't attracted to each other and it's time to move on it's just it would be nice if people were more transparent about it look I'm not attracted to you I know that hurts I'm sorry That would be horrible to hear, I know, but at least it would be honest. I'm not attracted to you, so I'm moving on. Most of us won't say that. It's it's kind of hurtful, but it's honest. It's it's straightforward, and it gives you some closure, even though what do you do with that? Now it kills your self-worth. But remember, don't define who you are by one person's definition of who you are. Because who you are is the totality of who you are, not one person's perception of who you are. That one person out of 8 billion, if they don't see what's beautiful about you, then they're not the right person. They're not the right person to rely on as your only source of your worth. Stay strong. Again, thank you to this person who wrote. I appreciate you. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. (music) Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our patrons this week. These are the patrons of the week, the financial backers of the show. I read new names every week, and I very much appreciate them. Nathan, Jamie, Crystal, Angel, Chris, Michelle, Emily, Gemma, Wanda, and Elaine. Thank you so much for your contributions to the show. They are patrons this week, and I'll read some more names next week. I appreciate each and every one of you. And if you find value in the show and you want to give back, head over to moretob.com. And there are some options there. And I also have some stuff over there as well. And for a show on how to deal with difficult relationships, you heard me say it before, visit loveandabuse.com. And if you think you're the difficult one or you know it, then head over to healedbeing.com where I help anyone that's been hurtful to the person they care about and they want to change that about themselves. Healedbeing.com. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And just a quick reference back to last week's episode called, it was episode number 470, When Your Happy Place Becomes Your Misery. Someone wrote in and uh, she said, you know, my husband's getting some kids or his kids back and now it's going to be no more quiet, comfortable place for me. And um, I had an episode, basically the whole episode was about that. And uh, she wrote me back, and I just wanted to read you a couple things that she said. I hope that this is okay. Uh, I'll keep it confidential still. She said, I can't thank you enough for your perspective on this week's episode. This was really hard to listen to. As you were reading the email that I sent in, I felt awful. I saw myself in a way that I hadn't seen myself before. It was as though I was listening to someone else complain about their husband being a good father to his kids. Face palm. (laughs) I mean, who does that? I did. It was hard to hear the email being read aloud. I felt selfish and mean-spirited, and I'm hoping no one is triggered from this. And she she goes on to say, you made some valid points, and I'm going to stop this behavior. And you know, I I have been focused on the wrong things, and I've literally made this all about me. And she said, the non-judgmental examples that you provided aloud for the mental breakthrough that I've desperately been seeking. Thank you again for helping so many of us. I will re-listen to this as I take a walk during lunch today and save it for when I ever sink into this woe-is-me space again. <laughs> she, you didn't have to say any of that. You should not feel bad at all. If you hadn't heard last week's episode, you know, they have a great marriage, and his kids had to move in for one reason or another, and she thought, oh, great, there goes my peace, There's, there goes my quiet, there goes my serenity, you know, this used to be my my home is my sanctuary, I totally understood that and I had some thoughts and perspectives on that and I was hoping that it helped and apparently it did help but I did not want her to feel bad I did not want you to feel bad person who wrote this is not about feeling bad because if you didn't write this if you didn't write in and ask this question how would you feel now like let's just say you never got an answer to it how would you feel You'd probably still feel slighted. You'd probably still feel like your sanctuary is gone. And you might still feel a little bit of that today anyway, because, you know, the situation probably hasn't changed. But you probably wouldn't have um, reached any type of breakthrough or new thought process or anything, which means you had to ask the question. You, You had to be in the space that you feel you were in, like if you felt selfish, you had to be in that space. I'm not saying you were selfish at all either. These were, you know, I, I'm, I don't want you to interpret that way. But you had to be in the space to get into the new space, if that makes sense. You have to be in a space of challenge, of emotional deficit, of unhappiness. You have to be in that space and then seek the answers from that space to get into the new space where, like you said, you have a facepalm moment and you think, oh boy, you know, I, I was selfish and I shouldn't have been thinking that way and I should have thought of this differently. No, I, I think we have to get to that point. We have to get to a point in our life that when we don't have the answer, we have to go down that road and find the answer from that space. So you were in the right space, you asked the right questions and You've got a perspective that helped you, and I'm so glad it helped you. (laughs) I wasn't sure if it would. That was a very, very tricky situation, and I had to think about it myself, and then I could relate because I thought about my own situation as well. And um, That's how we get to a new place. That's how we understand ourselves better. So The reason I'm saying that is don't put yourself down for going there. In fact, pat yourself on the back. You said, I gotta be honest, uh, I don't like uh I don't like his kids, or whatever you said. I don't think you said it like that, but you weren't as fond of his kids as you were of your own, and that was disturbing you, it was troubling you. But there's nothing wrong with being honest about that, so that you can seek a solution. And because you sought and found that solution, or at least found a different perspective that was helpful, now you can look at this and don't be upset with yourself or don't think that you were stupid or being selfish. You just had to be there. That was the way life took you in order to get to where life is taking you now. Might be a little spiritualness in there, but I like to look at things like that. I had to be the emotionally abusive person in order to understand that I was doing something that was wrong and hurtful and start asking questions from that place. In order to get to this place. And I think my point of this, this whole thing is that we need to be okay going into the dark, <laughs> into the darkness, into the darker parts of ourselves and be in that space so we can find the solution so that we can get out of that space and be in a new space. Because you know, there are people that put on a smile and don't go to that place and aren't as honest with themselves. And they start saying, well, you know, I wish things could be better, but, um, you know, things are fine. I'll I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'll just deal with it. And they don't allow themselves to go into that darker space. And that darker space isn't necessarily a bad thing. The the darker space could be um, a truth that you don't want to admit. Here's a great example. Uh, You've heard me talk about this before if you're a longtime listener. Um, I didn't know how much hatred I had for my stepfather at one point in my life because I didn't want to go to that dark place. I didn't want to be in a dark place of hating someone else. Hating is bad. That's what I was told. Hating is bad. And when you hate someone, that means uh, either you're a hateful person or you're holding on to hate and you're not seeing things optimistically uh, or hating is morally wrong. You know, all the stigma was attached to it. So I never for 35 years, allowed myself to feel hatred. And because of that, it never got addressed. It just stayed inside and it it became destructive. And it was part of my emotionally abusive cycle because I had all this unhealed trauma from childhood growing up with a toxic step-parent. And that suddenly changed. All this trauma started to heal. Even my depression when I was experiencing it around 35 or so, I'm 52 now, even my depression started to decrease and release as I allowed myself to go to the deeper, darker truths inside of me. And when I allowed the deeper, darker truths out, hey, this is really how I feel. That's what I said back then. I hate him. This is really how I feel. I'm just going to speak it. Put it out there. Put it on the table. That's what started my release and decrease of depression and made me feel so different because I had been holding on to it all that time because we're not supposed to hate or we're not supposed to feel a certain way. We shouldn't be allowed to feel that way because we have it better than so many other people. We have all these pre-programmed notions inside of us. Well, I shouldn't feel that way because... So-and-so has it worse than me or this country or this family. They have it worse than me. So I shouldn't feel this way. So we deny and invalidate ourselves. And we step into that invalidation and stay there. And then we wonder why we aren't happier. Why can't I just feel happier? I just want to get past this upset or sadness or depression or whatever it is, this anxiety, whatever's going on inside of you. I just want to feel better. Well, what's in there? What's in the dark? Let's dive in. (laughs) I do that in some episodes. And of course, you know, this is a scary place and it might be emotionally challenging or even dangerous for you to do it alone. You might have to seek someone, talk to someone, talk to a therapist or whoever and get through it with somebody else. You might need that guide. It's kind of nice to have somebody to hold your hand and say, we're going in together. We're here. What do you see? What do you hear? I don't want to deal with it. Oh, I understand. I understand that completely. That's how I felt for many, many years. And so after that period of time where I stepped into the darkness, found my hatred, oh, there it is, great, expressed it, was truthful to myself, was truthful to the person I was with at that time, it was the person who became my wife, and I just started feeling better. I mean, it still took time. It still took time to find other dark areas and realize behaviors that I was doing that needed to change. And um, a few years later, I finally figured out that I was the common denominator for a lot of my problems in my life. And it took years actually for me to go through the healing and revealing and exposing all these truths, some of them dark, some of them unknown, some of them unhealed traumas. We got to do this. Sometimes we got to do this. We don't always have to do this. I mean, I actually talk about there are ways to reverse engineer this process so we don't have to visit the past. I have episodes on that. In fact, if you want to know one, it is called, Is It Always Necessary to Dive Into the Past to Heal Old Traumas? And uh, that might be something you tune into. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com. You'll find it there. You just type in the word. Uh, you could type in dive. that will find it uh, in the search field. Um, or past. That's a quick way to find stuff on my website. Just use the search engine at the top. And uh, listen to that episode. Because some people don't want to dive into the past. I don't don't want to go there. I I don't want to even think about it. I don't want to bring it up. It is helpful to allow yourself to go there. Because sometimes when we reconnect with the origin of what we're carrying, it can neutralize it. But some of us aren't ready. Some of us don't want to visit it. Some of us don't want to remember it. So I like to think of other ways to heal old traumas and uh, allow yourself to move forward because when you're holding on to old, unhealed traumas, they can slow you down. They can become obstacles to your happiness. And I don't want that for you. I want you to be happy. I'm not saying you have to be happy all the time. You might want to be. (laughs) But then you'd miss what happiness is when it's not there. I know it's not fun to be sad or... Get angry. Well, sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it's not fun to just feel certain ways. So it is nice to be in that happy space. But it's also nice to feel comfortable and peaceful. And whatever that means to you. What, what are your positive feelings? And it's nice to have the variety. Happiness comes and it goes. Sadness comes and hopefully it goes. And when it doesn't, that's when we got to dig a little deeper or do the reverse engineering, like I said, listening to that episode and uh, keep listening to this show and keep diving into yourself no matter what, because improving yourself is your life's work. It doesn't have to be work, but I've learned that as you improve yourself or heal yourself, uh, it gets easier. It takes time, but it gets easier because once the big stuff is out of the way, then you're just eh, cleaning up here and there. (laughs) That can be helpful to get that big stuff out of the way and if you have any trouble getting anything out of the way and working on those old traumas if you have any just remember to keep an open mind that's how you step into your power so that you can create the life you want always take steps to grow and evolve you are powerful beyond measure and above all and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you you are amazing